one thing I would ask him is, do you, when you're chipping, do you look at a spot or do you not look at it? That's spot? perfect. Oh my I, God. I that's actually perfect. Know. I, I actually want to know. I'm so for those of you chipper. who don't, I'm actually going to, I'm all, we're good. we'll pull it. No, we'll pull it up and put it. This is the Tournament Code. Friday, Cooper. We are here. It's a new episode of the Tournament Code. It's a little different than normal because it's just you and me, and we're going to be doing a little bit of a year-end recap. We've done a lot of episodes of the Tournament Code. We've done 80 episodes since our beginning, and we think now would be kind of a good time to do a recap, let people into what we're thinking because you know we've talked to 80 people we're potentially the only people who've listened to every single episode and for us we've listened to every single one multiple times between recording it editing it etc and so there's a lot of takeaways that we got and hopefully we can condense them down here for our listeners so i think let's just kind of start from the beginning and by the way if you don't like this style of episode if you hate this style of episode please leave us a five-star review and like and subscribe uh that way we know not to do it again. And similarly, if you really hate it, if you're seeing us on YouTube, give us a thumbs up if you hate it. That It's opposite day to day, and we need to make sure that that is implemented. So getting past that, I think, Cooper, you and I play a lot of golf, and I'm going to quickly give everyone a background. You've kind of heard us maybe talk about it, and I'll just give people quick the quick rundown. Cooper played at Moorhead State, which is a D1 school in Kentucky. He played there for five years, went and played on mini tours for about six months, realized it wasn't for him, ended up getting his amateur status back. This summer, I caddied for him in a few events. He just missed out on qualifying for the US Am. He just missed out on qualifying for the US Mid-Am. And so Cooper can play some pretty good golf. And when he was at Moorhead State, he was one of the best golfers in that conference Myself, I played at Belmont. I was there for about a year and a half. Had a stress fracture of the hand. Golf game went downhill. Uh, had a few more stress fractures on top of that. And so after about a year and a half, I called it quits. Didn't pick my golf clubs back really back up until my third year of law school and started playing more. You now couldn't put here. it on your resume and that you were a collegiate golfer if you were going to suck. That is true. That is true. You can't say that. Then all of a sudden they invite you out to play golf and you stink. So play, play a lot more. So just as a reminder for everyone, our background, this is where we're coming at it from. We're not just at least two complete patsies who know nothing about golf. And so a lot of the stuff that we talked about this year with guests were things that we learned that, and we had a lot of things that our minds changed on. So without any more hemming and hawing, let's kind of start Cooper with the big thing. Tell us the thing that, changed your mind the most well i'll tell you one thing that stood out to me was from the james seekman episode we were talking about chipping that guy is a an absolute short game wizard and he changed my mind on something because for the past around year and a half maybe two years i've been trying to hit draws with my chip shots because i had a golf lesson a few years a few years ago where the instructor who's a really good instructor told me I need to be in and out on all my chip shots, in and out, in and out, in and out. I need to hit um, like high draws, he said. I need to always try to 
be focused on hitting, feeling high draw on every single short game shot. And Seekman was opposite of this. He was telling, he was saying that most players, he analyzed all these really good players, and a lot of them have cut shot patterns. And it kind of made me think, well, like, why do I try to hit high draws on every single chip shot? Well, it's probably just because this one guy told me that. And it's okay that that worked. That works most of the time. But it just was a good reminder to not be so rigid in um, a swing thought or a short game short game thought or really any thought on the course in that matter. And that instructor you're talking about for context for people, if it's the one I'm thinking about, that's a great, as, as Cooper said, not just a great instructor. He's a top 50 instructor in the yeah, world, I'm man. pretty sure. He's just major That's, champions. Yeah. Um, PJ really, Tour really players. Mm-hmm. Knows his stuff. Worked under some really good, really good um, instructors. And, you know, it could have just been because I had the one lesson with him only. And he, you know, if we worked together more and more, he might have not been as rigid in that. But it's just always good to have a reminder that um, more than one thing can work. Yeah. That's a pretty good one. For me, I'm going to go with episode 62, Marty Jertson. So if you remember, I think episode 25 was Scott Fawcett. We talked a lot about curving the ball one way. And that's something I believe in and did believe in prior. And so, I mean, Scott's a great guy, super charismatic. And what he says makes sense. And so I'd seen Marty post on Twitter about curving the ball both ways. And I was like, what is Marty getting at? Like Marty's not, Marty's not an idiot. He's a really smart guy. I've met him before. I'm sure he's got something like some reason for this. He doesn't just have something without any substantiation. So we had him on, if you haven't listened to 62, 62, listen to it. And essentially what Marty said is in a vacuum, it's correct that a draw and a fade really aren't any different for the most part. Like your shot pattern with a draw is going to be your, your farthest ones left are going to be the longest usually and your shortest ones are going to be on the right. So it's going to be this pattern. I'm trying to figure out how to describe on my end, but essentially long left short right is what your pattern is going to work with draw. And similarly with a fade, your short ones are going to be on the right usually and your long ones are going to be on the left. So as a overall shot pattern, it's going to look the same. And so if you transpose that onto a green, yeah, there's no difference at all really between them. A good way to think about this is because I remember we got into not an argument, but a long discussion about think about hole 12 at Augusta Sunday pin. Would you rather be lefty or righty? And you were Mm -hmm. saying, well, it doesn't really matter if you're lefty or righty because your dispersion is going to be the same. Um, But I think that when you're just simply looking at a dispersion chart, you don't realize what Marty was saying exactly right there. And what, Mar- and what Marty got at is Cooper's alluding to is yeah, all things being equal dispersion patterns look the same, but when you, that's just essentially where the ball is carrying. But when you take the hard greens into account, so on essentially PGA tour level courses where the greens are hard, that ball is landing and rolling usually a pretty decent distance. And because of that rolling, it makes it so that, if you're hitting a cut to a right pin or a draw to a left pin, then the ball is going to get closer potentially. And in fact, for players that are good at doing that can help them gain strokes. And one of the stats he gave is 
Justin Thomas hits an average number of greens in regulation, but gains more strokes than almost anybody, uh, at least when he was playing better with strokes gained approach because he's cutting it to the right pins and drawing to the left pins. My takeaway from that was not that I should learn to cut, work it both ways. In fact, my takeaway was pretty much the same as it's been, which is I'm probably going to hit it the same way most of the time. But if you want to be a top five, top 10 striker in the world, you have to curve it both ways. So that was a big one. That was a really big one for me and was super interesting to talk with Marty about that. Cooper, you got a, you got a category? Out of all the episodes that we've had, what was your favorite one? Oh, man. Oh, gosh. I'm not going to give the cheesy answer that Scott everyone gives, which is – no, that's not the, che- the cheesy answer. <laughs> oh, they're all my favorite. I can't, I can't decide. And they're not – I mean, we had a bunch of great guests on, and so it is hard to make a decision because each one, each one taught us something – for sure. I think both of us came away, even for ones we weren't expecting. I'm going to actually, I think Scott Fawcett's an easy one to go to because he's such an interesting character and interacting with him like off camera, off out of recording, a super, like even outside of that super nice guy. He really is just a golf nut and cares about golf and wants people to do it. We talked with him for decent, like that, that podcast was an hour and a half, I think that we recorded and we still talked with him for another half an hour afterwards just about golf stuff asking questions etc i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with a kentucky boy here jesse mudd jesse mudd was a super fun one if you haven't listened to him he's the coach at lamar university and his story is essentially this was the best junior golfer in the country committed to florida and then had some injuries, had some men, like mental, like I wouldn't call it lapse, but just struggled, just struggled and never really got his game back. And he worked, he worked with Gio Valiente a ton, never got his game back, but it has gone on to become a really, not just a good coach, but a, he's a great guy, super interesting to talk to. And he can, as he said, I can explain to players, Hey, I've been there. Bet you're the best player in the world. Yep, been there. You're the worst player in the world. Yep, I've been there. I've been in both spots, and so I thought that was super cool to hear his story of ups and downs. How about you, Coop? So my favorite episode was with a guy that we did a while back. His name is Rob Labritz. He's currently on the Champions Tour. He he was a lifelong head professional. He has actually a really inspirational story. Um, he talks about working just probably like 10, 12 hour days, um, his entire career as a club pro with the dream of, with always having the dream of making the champions tour when he turned 50, he would wake up, work out, go work, take a lunch break, hit balls, go work some more. And then after he got done working at the club, he would go play or practice or do whatever he needed to do. And he had a lot of um, success doing that um he played in multiple pga championships made the cut in a few pga championships and just always kept at it and as soon as he turned 50 he signed up for pga tour champions q school and he got through that first year and now he's playing on the tour and i mean it's just a really cool story we i reached out to him because i had 
seen his story on golf channel or Twitter or something. And I was just really happy that he came on and is still one of my favorite episodes. Probably my favorite episode, honestly. Yeah, it was, that was a really good one. I mean, if I remember right too, I think he had a tough childhood, like, and then he went, he went to college and dropped out of college and became a club pro. It wasn't just like all straight to the, all straight to the top or anything like that. It was a super, I mean, he's been through a divorce. He was very open with that on the podcast and, um, he's, you know, he's going to tell you it's not easy, but he's a testament that if you want something, you can go get it. That's, that's the truth. Let's do next one. The best, I think we kind of hit that one with Seekman, but see if you got another one. Your best or biggest game improvement tip that you got from one of these things. Because, you know, we listen to these guests, but. Biggest game improvement. Let me think about that for a little while. I'll, I'll go first then if, if you if you want to hold off then. So we had a lot. Of, we obviously had a lot of great guests on. I've just been floored by all the people we've had on uh, in every facet. I think one of the ones is that we talked to that's more recent that had a pretty that is something that was pretty game improvement. We kind of talked about on here. There's also another video out there, but I think Greg Rose talking about how ground forces work and specifically how it works with a, how you can practice good ground reaction forces with a chair. That one to me is probably the biggest mind changer that I had or game changer I had as far as actually understanding that. So I'm going to quickly give you a rundown. I kind of said it wrong in that episode, how it works, but it's pretty darn close. Essentially you take a chair, like I'm sitting in an office chair and you take whatever foot you would push off of it with your, when you're swinging. So if you're righty, your left foot, if you're a lefty, your right foot. And if you want to feel how, what proper ground reaction forces look like with that foot, push back as hard as you can and try to turn only 180 degrees uh, while doing that. And so essentially you should fly back 10, 15, 20 feet, however far it is, depending on a few different factors and end up facing the way you push. But again, only turning 180 degrees. And that one was like, oh, I always, for me, I always thought, oh, I'm supposed to be jumping up. I'm supposed to be like pushing that left foot up. And I'm a guy who can jump pretty high. I was like, oh, why can't I hit the ball farther? And then once I understood that, it made sense as to uh, not just using the ground properly and how that helps speed, but also how that helps the body rotate around. Because if you're just pushing up, it's rotating around, especially with the pelvis, is a little harder. How about you, Coop? I'm going to go with one that's um, a little less technical, but it it's a good way to think about things. And this comes from a guest that we were very lucky to have on the podcast, Dr. Mo Pickens. And he's big into process. He's big into routines. And the way he talks about your pre-shot routine is, is that once you start your pre-shot routine, you shouldn't even have to think about uh, taking the club back. You should be so ingrained in you that it taking the club back just happens and i think if you can really get to that point with your pre-shot routine it just it's hard to do but it's extremely helpful to get to that point yeah and i that made me think of another one that i don't know where it falls into but another big game changer this year for me was ralph bauer with 
his tour read system. Cooper can attest to this. So the quick rundown on this is I wouldn't call it like aim point, but essentially as opposed to using fingers, et cetera, and arm length to estimate the spot, tour read helps you do the exact math on where a putt should be. And you might use aim point right now and you say, Hey, I think aim point's good enough. And maybe it is good enough for you. When I switched from aim point to tour read, I had a significant improvement in my putting. I was amazed. I went from a guy who wasn't, I was an okay putter, but I was really struggling to everyone's asking me, yeah, what are, what's going on? Like, how are you making all these? That's episode 60. If you want to learn more about it and check out to read, but Cooper saw it in person when I was catting for him at the USAM, we made USAM qualifier. First of USAM all, qualifier. did not play Thank in the you. USAM enter this year. Thank you. Good but <laughs> we tried my parade, bro. Uh, <laughs> The, no, U, the I was USA just a backstory. Backstory: I hadn't been playing all year. When I did play, I did not putt very good, very well. Did very not putt bad. very well when I played. You know, I kind of got. I did some work previous to that qualifier, but I was like, Daniel, you got this new system. I'm gonna let you read all the putts, and we're gonna see how it goes. And what was it? Okay, first hole I two putted. Second hole I made a hundred foot putt. I know. Second hole I made a hundred foot putt. That actually happened. That made me feel so – and that one that one too, again, Cooper makes a 100-foot putt. We have it on video, and we're going to release that video uh, <laughs> at some point in, in time you know, with the entire qualifier letting you guys see our process because I think for a guy uh, who works as an attorney all the time and for a guy who didn't play golf at all that, that year, which was Cooper, to get to the point where we were right in it to get into the USAM – I was super impressed with us because there's a lot of guys in college who fun. who play golf all the time and weren't anywhere nearby. And I think it, I think Cooper's good, but I think it came down to a testament as to how we prepared our decision making and a little bit of luck. Because a hundred footers partially luck, but I also I also read it to a specific spot. I said, Cooper, here's the specific spot you need to hit it, and it wasn't just like a oh, it's a one foot breaker. As if you ever have a hundred foot one foot breaker, it was a eight or it 10 was probably about yeah six to eight feet but yeah. i think it's it's important like if you're gonna do something like aim point or to a read you better make sure that you're actually doing it right because a lot of the times like i've been using aim point since high school probably but a lot of the times i'll just get up and be like oh this is a two and then just put, stick my fingers out there take 10 seconds and just look at the putt and hit it and it's like well i didn't even i might have been i would be better off just looking at the putt and guesstimating it because I was just going through the motions anyways. So to read, actually make sure that you're okay. No, I'm actually aiming two inches outside of the hole. I'm not just throwing my hands up and saying, that's what this is going to do. And that's the biggest thing I've noticed. Again, I like aim point and we would have, I forget who is the aim point. Is it John Graham that does a lot of the aim point? I would have one of the aim point guys on to talk about it. I think it's a good product. I just noticed that when I compared I think you have to be super diligent on aim point and the trade-off with two readers, you have to be able to do math in your head and it, it can be quote unquote, a little complicated as some people say, but if you just learn to do the math, it's not really, it's not really hard. But the thing I noticed between the differences, even if we had the same percentage slope, even if we read the same percentage slope, I would say that I was much more accurate in their variation as far as where something broke was much more significant. So they might be, you know, an inch outside of where I thought it was, and they might be an inch and a half inside where I thought it was. And not that where I think it is 
is always right. But if we're using the same numbers, ostensibly we should be coming up with almost the exact same read because we have the exact same putt with the exact same numbers. There are a few different types of reads, obviously. We've talked with people about that, but it's not, it should not be that much of a despair, much of a disparity if we're playing a putt that rolls a foot past the hole. All right, Coop, what's the next question you had for us to go through? Specifically, what is the number one swing tip? Swing tip that you remember from our interviews? I would go, so I'm going to combine Rick Fair and James Seekman into one which the tip with short game was do what the greats have always done essentially. And both, both of them kind of said that and they both have had their own way of like measuring and looking at it. And now we got trackman. We can measure these things as to what great players do. And a lot of what you're seeing the greats do are what we see, what we hear from the maestro trackman maestro, uh, Joe Mayo, kind of what he's talked about with Hovland and that's blown up more. But that's you essentially hit down on your chip shots. The the idea, yeah, the idea that for a while there, and there are people that stand by stand by shallow, and I'm not necessarily. There are people you're anti shallow. I'm not anti shallow. I just think for me, and from what I've seen, the reason behind having a very negative angle of attack is well supported, not just by the data, but by how players have historically done things that we didn't have measuring devices at certain times. So we couldn't tell you, Hey, here's how down he was, but looking at not just the results of that, but also understanding the mechanics of why that works. I think that that's something that was probably, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that people will take away. I don't think a lot of people got that from, this year, whether it was listening to our episode, whether they noticed it that well, or whether they listened to the maestro talk or on Instagram, I don't think a lot of people took that, like we're paying enough attention to take that away. So I think that's something that people are going to pick up more on in 2024. One of the fun ones I thought we did that I want to do more of this year, the coach's corner that we did with Dr. J grace and Lorenzo. That one was pretty fun. That one was Have good. I wish I had as much confidence as Lorenzo. <laughs> Not in a bad way, in a good way. I, I know, wish I did. I know. I know. I know. I wish I, w- I wish, yeah, I wish I had as much confidence. I mean, he was uh, what, like plus three two. or something? He was like plus three through six holes or something and shot like 65 to make the U.S. Amateur this past summer. It was impressive. So for the for those of you who didn't watch it or listen to it, I've listened to it. It's us talking with Dr. J, Jason Novetsky mental coach and two of his students, Grace Wang, Lorenzo Penelope. Lorenzo's playing at Michigan State. Grace is playing at Michigan. And while it says, while it's titled Insights into Elite Junior Golf, it's really just a good thing to listen to if you are anybody who wants to get better at golf. And that's why if our last question we ask at the end of every episode is if you go back to yourself as a junior golfer, why would you what would you tell yourself? And the reason we ask that isn't because, oh, we care only about junior golfers is because if you are a golfer that's improving most of the, at any level essentially, but most of the time, like you're essentially somebody's junior golfer. If you get kind of what I'm saying, like 
you're, and so what people would go back to and tell themselves is also very helpful and insightful in order to see what you maybe should be thinking about right now, whether you're a junior golfer or not. I think a good thing that they talk about in that episode is, and Lorenzo talks about this, is he's like, he's like, oh, well, I didn't think I really needed to see Dr. J in the first place because like I'm, you know, I'm playing good golf. Why, why do I need to think? Why do I need to think a certain way? But he, he talks about how he eventually came around to that and realized, you know, just how important the mental game is, even though it's not easily um, quantifiable. Yeah, I, I'm with that. And I think that's something that was interesting because, again, Lorenzo had a lot of confidence and said specifically what he said. He said, yeah, I went to him and was like, wow, if you think if you think what I think, if you think, oh, I don't need help, you are wrong. Help will help you. Uh, pretty much no matter who you who you are, you got to find the right help. One thing I think it'll be interesting to see from the guests we've had on this year are the college golf coaches and how they do in their respective programs. So Gator quickly, Todd. Yeah. That was well, one of my favorite episodes I forgot about Gator Todd. That was a fun one. I'm going to quickly run through some, not all the coaches because some of the coaches are not active or not going to be active, but Jacob Cook, assistant coach at UK. We have Daniel DeLuca. DeLuca just picked up the assistant coach job at Belmont in Nashville. Former assistant coach at Army, former head, head coach, coach at, Murray. at Murray State. Going through some more of these coaches. I'm having to scroll a little bit because I, I need a little bit of help to make sure I get them all. Uh, Jesse Mudd over at Lamar, top coach. I think, I think he's, I think he's going to be doing well. Chip is also McDaniel. Chip uh, McDaniel, yeah, assistant head coach, assistant at, coach UK. at UK. We had Brennan, Coach Webb on, Gator Todd on. I mean, we've had on a decent net. Cordy Maggard was former coach. At the time that we interviewed Gator, he was the assistant coach at Vanderbilt. Uh, shortly after that, he got hired on as the as a head coach at University of Kentucky. So he's been there for one semester. Really excited to see what he does um, once he gets his own guys in there. Yeah. And if you, I mean, he's doing, he's doing a good job and I think he's done a good job with that program from what I've seen as far as, as far as getting guys prepared. I've heard good things about how things have gone as far as getting guys tournament ready and how he talks with us. I mean, he takes it serious and has good structure for players. And so I'm excited to see what comes out of that program. Coop, let's do a fun one. Who you can get one guest on this coming year. Who would it be? I want to get Lou back on. You want to get Lou, Lou back on? I want to get Lou back on. I feel like, feel like he has a lot, a lot of good things to say. Feel like he's been pretty active on Twitter lately. Um, feel like he's a uh, he's he's getting a little addicted to stirring that pot. <laughs> we'll let him, we'll let him know that when we talk to him. There's no there's no one else that you have that you're hoping to get on. I like Lou. Well, no, you said you said, like, you said one person. Shot? I I mean I don't uh, know. There's a lot of people I'd like to get back on, but that's just the first person that came to mind. Okay. Your Christmas wish list for Santa, your top per one person you'd want to get on that we haven't had on yet. Maybe that makes oh, that we haven't had on yet. Yeah, Tiger. 
Oh, sorry, Rory. I can't tell if you're being serious or not. I'm being serious. You said okay. Christmas wish list. I want Tiger. Okay. <laughs> we can spot. We can be his new sponsor. <laughs> what do you think? You what would you? What would, what's one question you would ask him? How did you come up with your strategy? How did you come up with the way that you played the game? Because as we all know, Scott Fawcett formulated his product around how you played the game of golf. And I mean, was that just intuitive or did you go about it a certain way? Did you study certain things? Um, I want to know how you had the ability to basically have the perfect strategy as far as we're concerned. My guess is, I mean, he probably, I don't know if he knows the answer because for a lot of great players in any category, there's a lot of things that are just intuitive to them. And that's one that I kind of wonder if that was just intuitive to him or he kind of learned it, but not that he has a specific strategy. He just goes by feel. And it just so happens one that his feel is pretty darn good. Number two, he's one of the best ball strikers in the world. And so that helps magnify the effect of having really darn good feel. He's pretty smart too. Yeah. One thing I would ask him is do you, when you're chipping, do you look at a spot or do you not look at it? That's spot? perfect. Oh my I, God. I that's actually perfect. Know. I, I actually want to know. I'm so for those of you chipper. who don't, I'm actually going to, I'm all, this We're good. we'll pull it. No, we'll pull it up and put it. We'll have Exxon put it in. Okay. We'll have our editor who's awesome. Put the, put it in and it's this video. And if you're listening on audio, you'll hear it on audio. Essentially I have back to back clips of Tiger saying when I'm ch- one, when I'm chipping, I chip to a spot. And then when, Another one where he says, "Oh, I never look at a spot when I'm chipping. I never I look at a spot look when at, I'm chipping. I can't look at it. <laughs> and I'm a I'm more of a spot chipper, so I like to line have landing spots where I want the ball to land. And to me, this gives me a good visual to practice. At. I don't ever see a spot. You really? look at the hole, right? Mm-hmm. So that's I the... don't know how to hit to a spot. Yeah. So if you, I reckon, if you hit to a spot, you'd hit you pull up short every single time. Probably. That's so, one yeah. thing I learned. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I feel everything like that. I take in the whole environment. Yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's good. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of when he said <laughs> no, said Scotty he doesn't when I'm take my divots. best. I don't t- I don't take divots. It reminds me. Of I that. can I never trust tell- anything else that comes out of his mouth in those type of situations anymore after seeing those two clips. I don't and I honestly I don't know if he does it on purpose for fun or what he what he does. I'm sure some of it's just messing around, having fun with people. Like Scotty's just still befuddled about that. Yeah, I probably I wouldn't I would lose sleep <laughs> if I was go, if I was going with one person we could get on this year. I still like to have Will's Altors on. I think that would be a really good one. We'll see if we can pull that off. If I'm really but, saying like things that could happen, I mean, okay, I said Tiger, that was funny, but. Um, I'd like to have Patrick Cantley on. I think he's really interesting. And just the way that he's able to focus on the golf course is just in, insane. And I'd, I would I'd also like have to Bryson on. Wills Altors and Bryson would be my top two. Bryson. Because, I mean, he's in, he's super interesting. We've done we've done things like You've him met or Bryson. because of him. You've I, met have, him. I met him at the 2015 USAM. I met him. <laughs> I did. We met with the scoring tent on the North course. He had some sort of, I, I mean, that's actually one question I would ask him what was going on with the scoring there. Cause I remember walking up to him. I was caddying 
You wouldn't ask Ashton. him that, dude. Yes, I would. Because I want to know what it was. He's like, yeah, I have some sort of scoring issue. They want me back in this tent. But he's, I'm saying he, would remember, he was a little, he? he would because he was a little hyper about it. It was like he was wired. It was pretty good. Other interesting things that I think that as far as guests on here, I mean, I'm going to hit a few. Caleb Surratt, heck Caleb of a player. Incredible. Heck of a player. Super interesting to talk to. at 4 a.m. every day. We'll have, we're going to have a few more top AMs on this year who are what people might say are in his like category in that, you know, I want to have miles Russell on. Have you seen him? He's 14 years old. He's won like every major junior tournament. He's 14. He won the junior players. When I was 14, I think I had uh, two perfect seasons in a row in NCAA football 2008. Not to brag or anything. What was I doing? Yeah, that'd been right. That'd have been pretty close. I might have been playing two. I don't think I had anything after football two thousand six. So might have been NCAA two thousand football two thousand six. So still not the worst. I mean, that's pretty solid, honestly. It's it's not bad. Sasha McKenzie. If you haven't listened to that one, check that one out. He broke I think that me. one. The Cooper <laughs> did feel bad during that. He one. broke my brain. <laughs> that was. That one took a little bit of effort, not because he's smart. He's a genius. He is ridiculously smart. He actually and is he's well equipped to answer questions. And he's a lab. Say that again. He has a lab. He's a mad he scientist. Does have a lab. I thought you were saying he was made in a lab. I'm like, well, that might be true. He could be. He could actually be. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but it's possible. Definitely. I'm trying to think of any anyone else on here that. I mean, I'm. We're gonna get more fitness guys on. We've had yeah, we, a we lot like of the fitness good, guys. I want to talk them. to Ben Shear more about how rice, about how ice cream's better for you than rice. Oh gosh, I was telling my wife about that the other day. <laughs> now I don't. I don't. I we we're having something. I was like, could we just have polenta instead of rice? I like polenta. For those of you who don't know what it is, it's like grits, but it's like Spanish grits. It's a little fancier, so my bad for stunning on everybody. We talked apologize. a lot about we've talked about everything except for professional golfers, pretty much. Now we well, we talked to about Labrids. True, true. We're excited to see how Teeter does. Teeter, Teeter. I was just talking to Ashton about that last night. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, how insane is it that he got back to the tour? It kind of doesn't make sense, honestly. Because if you play with Teeter, I mean. Don't get me wrong. He's an incredible golfer. But he hits it about 290. Doesn't do anything too crazy. And he'll go out and shoot 68 or 69. But he does that every single day. And he did that for a straight season on the Corn Ferry Tour. And that's what it takes. Gets the ball in the hole, baby. That is what it takes. So Joe Mushong is going to be caddying for him. We had, we had him on the podcast as well. Good good that's if, for those of you who good. don't get it that's from jocko good. joe loves jocko uh and one of the things good. whenever anything happens in your life whether good or bad jocko just says good your tire went flat good gives you a chance gives you a chance to test out your handiness fail to test good lets you know where you are i made a double bogey good yes there you go, Cooper. There you go. <laughs> now we're now we're back on track all right, I think we've pretty much 
gone through all the things as far as recapping things, etc. that I really wanted to hit. Is there anything you wanted to hit in particular? I, I got a question for you. What's something that you hope can be fixed in your golf game this, this season through the tournament code? Can I only pick one? Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Tell me too much. I want to shoot 18 every round. <laughs> <laughs> then you would finally win golf. I would beat it. Okay. Um, oh, one thing. I feel like no, I was actually, I remember I was talking to somebody and I was like, you think, I was like, you think it honestly, if humans played golf for an infinite amount of time, somebody would shoot 18. And he was like, he was like, he was like, yeah, 18. Yeah. I mean, somebody will shoot 18 under. And I was like, no, 18. Like you have to have a one on every single. Over a long enough period of time. Yes. <laughs> Under controlled circumstances. Yes. Yes. If, if you think about it, though, it's only, what is it? What are the odds of a whole one? A one in 10 million? I would prefer it on a part of three course. If we start talking driver. You just have to have a cart path. <laughs> you just have to have a cart path that goes down the middle of the fairway. It's true. We're losing the course. I would say, honestly, I I still I think I'd like to talk more about short game. Okay. I think that's what I would like to talk about putting. I honestly so here's controversial. Whoa, we didn't even hit top controversial, which we'll hit right after this. Bingo. One of the more controversial things that I think was said on this podcast. There's a few. So Stuart Morgan episode seventy nine, which I'm not disagreeing with or agreeing with, but episode seventy nine said that essentially slow motion work probably isn't that good. And then another motor learning guy. Yeah. Dang. These motor learning guys are controversial, man. Episode 67. Are you you talking about um, how Greg Rose said that chiropractors aren't quacks? That's pretty controversial. You stop that. You're going to get us canceled. If anyone listened to this far, they're getting us canceled. for (laughs) Episode 67. Luke Benoit said that putting isn't hard and that putting is pretty easy. And honestly, it's difficult. I actually, that's, that's a controversial one. I'm not, I'm inclined to semi agree with depending on how we mean those words. I mean, sure. It's not hard. Okay. But like, it's obviously hard. If you have, here's what I'll say. If you had the perfect read on every putt, if you knew the exact read of on every putt, for a putt that went a foot past the hole, I bet the people that the difference between putters would not be that great. And I bet that a beginning putter in a beginning putter, like a guy who never putted before you give him a couple hours. I bet he would be not indistinguishable, but pretty close to indis- or not super distinguishable from someone who'd been playing a long time. It's the most randomized part of the game. Yes. Well, I don't know if I'm going to agree with that or not. I have to think. Putting is like a carnival game. Why? Because you put it, you put it through the clown mouth and down the hill. No, because it doesn't take that much physical skill and you're just hitting a ball into a target. 
It's like throwing a um, ring on a whatever ring toss at the fair. Yeah, but they kind of they jimmy those. The same thing. Though. Putting's pretty jimmy. It's actually where the fun fact that's where I believe the phrase "close but no cigar" comes from. Carnival games, you get a cigar. Back when we used to let kids smoke, putting I'm not super concerned about picking stuff up. Same thing, I have swing instructors. Their swing instructor for full swing, so short game is really the one area that I'm more interested in. Probably that, maybe fit. I could go fitness too. I go fitness. I'll take fitness for 500, Alex. I really, really, and it's actually, it comes and goes. It comes and goes, but um, I struggle with the shorties sometimes on the greens. Um, oh, thought you meant girls. <laughs> <laughs> struggle. Yes. That's one way to put it. I struggle with three footers. That's true. And I, have I really, a video of it. I really want to. And I think this actually, this actually, um, this actually, well, maybe it actually was fixed, honestly, because when we had Dr. McCabe on, he talked about how he was working with a pitcher um, who struggled with the yips. And the way that he fixed it was, he was like, when I feel my hands shaking or my mind racing or I say good fear, he doesn't actually do that. Um, cause it's not good. Oh, he attributes it to a, an outside agent named Bob. He said, Oh, Bob's here again. Bob's the guy with the yips, not me. It's Bob. And he'll go step away. I think he was like, he had like a, um, he had like a trigger to get rid of it. He's like, I think he was like wiping his towel, wiping his hands with his towel. It's like, oh, Bob's here again. And then when he steps away, he comes back. He leaves Bob back there. And so that's, I think, what I'm going to do. Because um, honestly, it shouldn't be that hard to make three footer. You should never miss a putt inside three feet. Um, is what people might say to you. Who would who say that? missed a putt. No comment. Okay. I'll definitely improve my score if I never miss one of those. The funny thing about missing three footers is so just so you guys know, we were filming Cooper's USAM qualifier. Oh, uh, felt super weird to do it. This. We were, we were filming it. We okay, filmed, it was a two, it was a two day qualifier because of the rain delay. And we were on hole number had to be like 30, maybe hole number 29 or something like that it was hold 12 it was hold 29 or 28 and 30 hold 30 Not cooper cooper's dad was recording it for us and then cooper missed a three-footer maybe even less and then at that point his dad it was two two and a half at that point his dad was concerned i love you danny if you're listening to this uh at that point his dad was concerned that he was making cooper nervous and so he said, all right, I'm going to stop recording. I was like, all right, man, that's fine. And then Cooper proceeded to make an incredible par on the next hole. And then I think he made a birdie, then a bogey, and then finished no, birdie man. eagle to – let's not worry about the specifics. Made birdie eagle to uh, make second alternate. So We got the eagle putt. That's it. 
and all we recorded out of that was an eagle putt. Um, and here's yeah. a good here's a good lesson from that is I typically don't look at leaderboards, but on the 35th hole, Daniel's like, "You want to know where you stand?" And the reason I said I that like, to him is because I was concerned. I was like, "I think he might think he's out of it, and he is yeah. not out of it at all." I would say like. Whenever I was playing college golf, I was petrified to look at leaderboards. I mean, usually we have like the live scoring on our phone. I was like, I do not want to see where I stand. I'm a no leaderboard watching guy and I can never look at the leaderboard or else it'll mess me up. It's like, hmm. Now that I've, you know, still play some tournaments, I'll like say, you know, I'm generally not going to care about the score, but. It can help sometimes. And Daniel's like, well, you need to finish birdie birdie to have a chance at anything. And so, you know, hit the shot up there to six or seven feet. And he two or read it for me. Made the birdie. Eagle the next hole. It was good. That's how it goes. Alrighty. I think as supposed to talk about controversial Who's had the most controversial stuff? Let's actually let's do that quick, really quickly. You got one? I can't get over the rice, dude. The rice, yeah. With I can't ben get Shear. over it. Ben I can't Shear's get over it because I go to I go to Chipotle after I work out and I feel amazing. I feel like it's like the best thing I could be eating. I just can't be told that if I went to Andy's. It would be better for me. I'm not going to be told that. Well, you could be wrong. Because one of the guys works with the top tour players, and the other guy's you. He's smart. I think. Well, he's measured it, and you're just going off a of feel. So there's that. You actually believe him? I'm saying that you haven't measured it, and he has data. So take that. You can't just say, oh, I, I feel like it's like saying, oh, I feel like aiming at the pin is better. Prove it. If someone if someone's proved the opposite, prove otherwise. I don't think you have anything to prove otherwise. Every bodybuilder ate rice. We can go. We can continue. I just don't know what it means. I just proved it, but we can continue. Uh, I don't think you proved it. <laughs> Most controversial. I think I probably already said the ones that I thought were most controversial or made me believe some of the most controversial, which was actually I'll say most controversial again, Dr. Luke Benoit coming in with this one foam balls using foam balls to I practice hated that take. I hated that take. I like it. it I like it. Like... I, and the most controversial one that I don't disagree with that came from him was that the backswing doesn't matter. No, that one's fine. I just think that him saying that it's actually better to practice with a foam ball because, no, what he said was where you hit it on the club face doesn't matter. And I just can't get behind that. Because okay. the spirit, the reason he specifically uses foam balls is because you can't tell where on the face you hit it. Yep. It hurts to me. Understood. All righty. Well, if you've listened to us this far, then you must like us. And you're if you sicko. must like us, you are a sicko if you listen to us this far. And if you must <laughs> like us, and if you're a sicko, then therefore it follows 
you're probably already following us on Instagram and Twitter. But if you're not, we're on Instagram at the tournament code and on Twitter at tournament code. And you're probably already following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. But if you're not, please like and subscribe or subscribe and leave a rating. Every five star review helps. That's us. literally the only way we can make money because we refuse to put advertisements on this. I actually don't know how that makes us money if they leave five stars, but it's nice. No, it, it contributes. It contributes to it because the more ratings and views you get, the closer we are to monetizing our YouTube channel. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is true. That is true. We do generally not take advertising and we're still in that position where we're not taking on advertisers. But if you like us on YouTube, it helps us make money. And someday, someday we can make four cents an episode. (laughs) And that, that's what we came here to do. So we appreciate you taking the time to join us and dive in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf. 